0: well hello everybody hi guys it's monday in the summer it's hot city haven't met for two weeks (laughs) didn't meet on the fourth of july that's right so i'm glad to see that all of y'all came out of the heat to be with us as we resume our journey through isaiah yes Yep. it's going to be a little different class because in about 30 minutes supposedly the sprinkler guy is gonna arrive. Because we have a busted sprinkler head and it's not good in this kind of heat. So I need to, you know. So Patty's gonna handle it when he gets here. But uh, anyway, that that's coming. For those of you who've been with, in my classes for a long time, do you remember when I had all those battles with rabbits eating, eating our yard? I was kind of like Elmer Fudd. Yes. Trying to get rid of the rabbits. And several people even suggested lead poisoning, like Elmer tries. So, <laughs> so eventually... I, I was not
1: fond of that. <laughs> eventually,
0: the rabbits won. And yeah. we replaced the whole yard with St. Augustine. And, and I am not going to lose any part of that yard because right. the sprinkler head's broken. And I, I did put water on it after I realized what had happened, but... Anyway. It's two um, years now. Yeah. yeah, and you know what else?
1: What? I don't think
0: the rabbits like St. Augustine as much.
1: No, they're, nobody's at our yard anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know what that means? What does that they mean? I might actually have to put flowers in the flower bed. I've had an excuse for a very long time <laughs> of not having to get outside and do gardening because as soon as I would do it, I mean, literally overnight, the flowers would be gone in the morning. And- um, You'd have the little stems with, left yes.
0: and things as they- I don't a,
1: like bugs at all, but <laughs> I would do it. I'd go out with my gloves on, I'd plant all those little annuals um, and they'd be gone. It was so frustrating, but now- You could try it. Yeah, Well, not when it's 102, though. Well, no, though. there's no yeah, point now. But
0: maybe this fall, no. you might put some, some some fall color, yeah, in.
1: little marigolds or something. I don't know. Marigolds, Pinsies, yes. or whatever. Something. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Neither one of
0: us are gardeners, really. We're right. We're not. My thumb is not green. We're Your not. Your thumb is not green.
1: There is no way we are ever going to win Garden of the Anything, like no. of the month or something. No.
0: Best gardening ever did was up in Ohio, because Very- you just did, you had the winters, but you didn't have the brutality
1: yeah.
0: of a summer like this one. Yeah that is just merciless on all living things. Yeah, So,
1: I'm curious, (laughs) we do not have a pool, and I'm curious for those of you who do have a pool, is like the water like 95 degrees? I'm just curious, like how hot does that water get? A lot of people have
0: chillers now on them. think you'd have to have it now, or it'd be just like bath water. Like bath water. Like it was in the pools we had out in Phoenix like 40 years ago, 50 years ago, maybe. So, anyway. If we can
1: handle the smell, it will deter rabbits. Mothballs.
0: Mothballs. Nice. If we can handle the the smell. smell. (laughs) That's the question. Okay, well, we're going to do Isaiah. You have anything else for us today, Patty? No, 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 no. Okay. Just
1: everybody hang in there with this heat. I'm looking at myself. I am the palest I have been in I don't know how many years because I'm literally not going out in the sun. but I got that fake suntan stuff and it's mean, going Wait, on.
0: wait, are you paler than you were during during the depths of the pandemic?
1: Um, yes, because it wasn't that hot. I could at least sit outside our oh, own house true. for a few minutes, so.
0: True, true statement. Anyway. Very good, okay. We're
1: really glad that y'all are here with us today. Yeah, we really we are. are, this
0: is great. So, I'm gonna pray us. Please do. Okay, pray for us. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here today, to be gathered on this Monday, to resume our journey through Isaiah. We are coming to some deeply beautiful and passages, and passages that uh, will strike us um, to our hearts, passages that we actually know very well from Isaiah, and, heard, and have heard in many contexts. And we just pray that you would open our Hearts and minds to these, um, to the word brought from us, brought to us by Isaiah and these prophets, um, so that we can hear your word for us today, even in 2022. All this we pray in Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Amen. All righty,
0: okay, Patty. So I will give you the high sign when young Michael, the sprinkler guy, we'd we'd never used him before, he's a marine veteran. That kind of you know, I said, okay. We'll use them. He got a good, some good reports on next door and I'm a, kind of a sucker for vets.
1: Our pool is like a lagoon. <laughs> Our <laughs>
0: pool is
1: 95 degrees. All right. But Connie said it still feels refreshing.
0: I, I bet it does. I compare that
1: to see like 105, that would, be, that would be cool.
0: Here we go, more gardening tips. Susan Morgan says rabbits won't eat vinca. The next question I have for, more, for Susan is, what the heck is vinca? It's,
1: an, it's the name of a little plant. <laughs> is it right? Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. I'm so glad to know that, Susan Morgan. I can plant little vinca plants out there then, <laughs> and they're pretty. Um, yeah, that's great.
0: Okay. So here's where we are. We are in chapter 51, verse 17. I'll give you a few minutes to make sure you get there. 51, 17. And we're in this long section in Isaiah, and the basic theme is God is telling his people, reminding them of why this has happened to them, this being their exile in Babylon, and and then telling them that their deliverance is at hand, and then telling them, please, be brave, be courageous and return to Israel, right? It's always easy to stay, I think, kind of hidden away and not, you know, if you're if you're living in fear and, 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 and not poke your head up and out. And so he is trying, God is trying to get the people to be uh, ready and willing to return to Israel. So beginning in verse 17 of chapter 51, we begin a little section where the image used is a drunken Jerusalem. Jerusalem is drunken. Now this is metaphorical, of course it is, it's poetry. So, um, and Jerusalem is drunken on the wrath of the Lord. That's the problem, the wrath of the Lord. Right? God's wrath, because they have been a faithless people. Unwilling to keep the covenant that they entered into with God so it takes us back that's where I remind you of what we talked about several times already in the course of Isaiah it isn't really best to think of this as God waiting to smite the Israelites or something it, it is the working out of God's wrath is worked out in, in actions and their consequences Okay, it's, it's that, remember, we use the illustration of there being a moral causality in God's creation that's loosely woven like burlap, not tightly woven like silk. It's loosely woven. I brought to you before passages, such as one from Ezekiel, where God says, I'm going to turn their sins upon their heads. Meaning, their, the, the sins are going to have their own consequences. And a faithless people, trying to live like everybody else in the world lives, ends up suffering like everybody else in the world suffers. Right? So, um, that is very much the way to understand it. And of course, even in our time, um, the cup of the Lord's wrath is drunk by people who lie, cheat, murder, abuse... All of those sins, some have committed against others, some committed against oneself, they all carry with them consequences. Things catch up to people, as we like to say sometimes. And you could say, well, Scott, they don't always catch up. Well, that's what makes it the burlap and not the silk, right? So, but generally speaking, you know, if we're raising our kids, we have a pretty good sense of what is likely to help them work, help them work toward a, a good, fulfilling, pleasing, happy, faithful life. And we know what things don't. And that's, a, that's kind of the book of Proverbs. It's, it's a lot of common sense, God sense, about what will lead to a good life. So, so that's what Jerusalem is, in this cup of the Lord's wrath. So, look at 51.17. Awake! Awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. Right? Awake, awake. So, right, because sometimes, not that I have ever done this, mind you, but if you are someone who has ever had too much to drink by a lot, or known someone who has too much to drink, drink such that they, you know, kind of fall asleep, they can be hard to wake up. <laughs> so, here you go. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem. <laughs> You've had too much to drink, right? This um, Eighteen, among all the children she bore, there was none to guide her. The her is Jerusalem. Among all the children she reared, there was none to take her by the hand. These double calamities have come upon you, and really, who can comfort you? Ruin and destruction, famine and sword. Who can console you? Your children have fainted. They lie at every street corner like antelope caught in a net. They are filled with the wrath of the Lord, with the rebuke of your God. They are bearing the consequences of Israel's centuries of faithlessness, faithlessness, centuries of sin, centuries of chasing after foreign gods, centuries of failing to take care of the widows and orphans, all those indictments that you read in the Book of the Prophets, whether it's Jeremiah or whomever or Isaiah, it does describe a people who should be incurring the wrath of God. There should be consequences to their actions that's just. It's just. And sometimes, you know, like in verse 20, I don't think it means the literal children, these are the people of Israel, but sometimes children are caught up in all of that. And they suffer the consequences of our actions. And sometimes in cycles of violence um, they learn violence from others so 21 therefore hear this you afflicted one made drunk but not with wine you see they're not drunk with wine they're drunk with the wrath of the lord this is what your sovereign lord says your god who defends his people see i've taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again." You know, what word just popped into my head. It's like AA or an intervention. God's having an intervention with his people. I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, You will never drink again. It's like as if God is going to be their AA partner or something. Mm -hmm. Right? I will put it into the hands of your tormentors who said to you, fall prostrate flat on the ground that we may walk on you. And you made your back like the ground, like a street to be walked on. You know, there are consequences for doing terrible things to all people, including, especially, God's people. And these are the people through whom God is going to rescue all of humanity. And yet they are a people then, uh, can think of in the 20th century, the Holocaust, the people who have suffered, have suffered, terribly at the hands of others.
1: Look at Ukraine right now.
0: Look at Ukraine right now. So... But now the tone of it begins to change here in chapter 52, verse 1. Um, the, it, it, we turn from the emphasis on the drunken Jerusalem and the cup of the Lord's wrath to the awake, awake! Now it's it's like awake, awake! The rescue ship's here. Awake, awake! The cancer cures here. Awake, awake! Your you know salvation is here. Your victory is here. So verse cha- chapter fifty two verse one. Fifty two verse one. Thank you, Patty. Awake, awake, Zion! Close yourself with strength with strength. You know, I um a lot of the this portion of Isaiah that we've been in, you know, could be summed up in our desire, God's desire for us to be free from fear. Fear is debilitating. Debilitating. Fear causes us to miss so much of God's goodness in life. Um, when I was working on today's class, I came across um, four freedoms that Franklin Roosevelt talked about in a State of the Union address that he gave, called the that's called the Four Freedoms uh, address, and he had a freedom from freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want. And Freedom from Fear. And Norman Rockwell, for those of you who remember Norman Rockwell, did a painting of each one. Some of some of the four, I recognize them much, especially the, the Freedom from Want one, because that's kind of like a, it's a Christmas or turkey dinner. But this is his Freedom from Fear. Oop, there we go. Look at that. <laughs> this all happened in 19. 19- He painted this in 1943. So here's just your typical mother and father putting the children to bed, trying to see that their children are not growing up in fear, despite the fact that it is 1943. And look at the father's hand, what is he holding? He's holding a newspaper about the events of the the day, because 1943 is in the middle of what's called the Second World War. And I know we live in a tough time and there's lots of things wrong and there's lots of fears and so forth, but wow, what a time. The whole world was ablaze with war and, and um, soldiers and airmen and seamen were dying in large numbers every day, every week um, across the globe. And here these two parents are. Uh, for Norman Rockwell, this this image spoke to him about having a uh, trying to to raise your children with freedom from freedom from fear, and that's what God wants for us to be free from fear. There are a lot of things to be anxious about in this world, but God wants us to live. Lives that are not, not bound up with that fear.
1: Lynn says she had all four of those pictures in her home. Oh wow! For years. Okay,
0: Um. wow. Okay, Lynn, that's cool. So it's, and of course, how do you find freedom? For you find freedom from fear in God. That's how you do it. There really is. I don't think there's any therapist you're going to go to. I. You know, the anxieties and worries in the world kind of go up and down. I do think we live in a time when there's more and more people making lots of money off our fear. Um, But it still comes down to immersing yourself in God's will. And um, let's see, what am I? I use my mouse for this. Okay, so let me go on to to this next slide. This, you know, we've if you've been around the church for a while, the Methodist church, you've you've prayed the covenant prayer. Um, maybe at the first of the year, we have covenant prayer services at St. Andrew, John Wesley's covenant prayer. This is another John Wesley prayer, um, and maybe. I'll read it, maybe you can read it with me. Um, maybe we'll just kind of pray it together. Um, as I really do think this this is the path to a life lived free from fear i don't I don't really think there's anywhere else we we're gonna we're gonna be able to turn for that. This is where it's in God in God's will, in our submission to God's will. So to you, O oh God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, my Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier, I give up myself entirely. May I no longer serve myself, but you, all the days of my life. I give you my understanding. I give you my will. I give you my affections. I give you my body. I give you all my worldly goods. I give you my credit and reputation. I give you myself and my all. O oh my God and my all, when hereafter I shall be tempted to break this solemn engagement, when I shall be pressed to conform to the world and to the company and customs that surround me, may my answer be, I am not my own, I am not for myself nor for the world, but for my God. I will give unto God the things that are God's God, be merciful to me, a sinner." That's a pretty... Amen. That's a pretty wonderful, wonderful prayer. And I really, you know, I think it's... It's the path out of a life filled with fears and worries and anxieties. About, and almost all of them are about things we can't control. Right? Almost all of them are about things we can't control. I don't really have any control over the inflation rate. I really don't have any control over what Putin may or may not do in the Ukraine. I don't really have any control over whether or not Putin may may hit that red button. I don't. And if I sit around worrying about it, it's just robbing me of my day-to-day life with God and with all of you and with my patty, and that that's not what God wants for us. I do have things in my life I can control, but it's not those kind of things. So, now, in verse in chapter 52, God is going to try to get his people to understand that their deliverance is arriving. The rescue ship is here. <laughs> don't be so scared that you don't get on it. Get on the rescue ship. Let the people come and take you to safety. Get out of your basement. Yes, you've been living in captivity, but your God is stepping up to deliver you, and don't don't miss it so chapter 52 awake awake zion clothe yourselves with strength put on your garments of splendor jerusalem the holy city the uncircumcised those we gentiles and defiled will not enter you again shake off your dust rise up Sit enthroned, Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, daughter Zion, though you are now a captive. I'll elaborate that last line a bit. For this is what Yahweh says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. At first my people went down to Egypt to live Lately, Assyria has oppressed them, or Babylon has oppressed them. Imagine you're reading this and you are a Jew living in Jesus' day. Lately, Rome has oppressed them. And now what do I have here, declares Yahweh? For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord, All day long my name is constantly blasphemed, therefore my people will know my name. Therefore in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it, yes it is I. And then we come to the magnificence of these next few verses. These are, uh, you talk about subunits of scripture that have been loved and adored for centuries. We've arrived at one of them. We've arrived at one of them. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Um uh, there is a Mendelssohn wrote an oratorio called St Paul which looks at sort of the life of St Paul and when he is in the section where the music is written around St Paul's mission he includes a chorus that is one of my favorites one of many people's favorites that you could go home and listen to if you if you would would like to do that I guess, I, actually, this is podcast only, so I could probably have set up to do that here. How lovely are the messengers who bring us the gospel of peace. That's the opening line. How lovely are the messengers who bring us the gospel of peace. Um, and um, uh, in the ancient world, of course, they didn't have telephones and telegraphs and stuff. So how was good news carried out? How did people. How were people informed about good news? Uh, of any kind might be military victory might be you know a baby is born to the king, whatever it might be. well, people had to go out and announce it. that's who the messengers are crossing uh, crossing the mountains, bringing the good news. how beautiful verse seven, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news now that word good news is. If it were this were Greek, or if that we are reading this in the Greek version of Isaiah, it would be the, the Evangelion. Those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings. Same word as good news. So it could, could read, who proclaim peace, who bring good news, who proclaim salvation. So good news is spoken of twice. Why is good news spoken of twice? Because it's the best news possible that God is rescuing these people. The best news possible is that in and now, I'm switching to a Christian view of all of this. The best possible news is that God has rescued us from sin and death through the faithfulness of Jesus all the way to his death, even death on a cross. I, I'm On Tuesdays, I'm teaching We're working our way through 1 Corinthians. Just a heart-stopping phrase for me in 1 Corinthians when Paul tells them, you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. And of course, that price was the life of Jesus. He did die. He died on that cross. And death, though it is not our end, death is not good. Death, death creates separation. Jesus has to ask young John to take care of his mother Mary. Jesus' is mother Mary. Jesus has asked to ask Mary to look after young John because Jesus won't be there. He won't be able to be the son who cares for his mother as the years go on in, his, in her life. He won't be with his disciples in the same way. No matter how close they were, no matter how much they loved him, they were not going to be together in the same way. They wouldn't have the the evening after evening for weeks and months sitting down and eating together and talking and learning from Jesus, and I'm sure, you know, enjoying each other's company, because that's what people who care about each other do. Um, But the good news is that, that Jesus did that. So here, how beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who to say to Zion, Jerusalem, Israel, God's people, your God reigns. What's the definition of God's kingdom? The place where God reigns. Your God reigns. Listen, verse 8, listen. Your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When Yahweh returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Your watchmen. Um, around cities and towns, there would be watchmen on the walls. If you, if you were a city of any size in the ancient world, you had to have walls. If you didn't have walls, you weren't a city. Um, wall, walls kept the bad guys out, and you would have watchmen around the clock on those walls because it's a world of. it's a barbaric world. Um, and uh, you would sometimes have watchtowers to carry the news from place to place. Um, There's such a scene in the Lord of the Rings (laughs) where there are watchtowers on mountaintops and the word is carried because the fires of the mountaintops are lit, sounding the word of alarm. Same idea, same idea, it's coming, this word is coming. When, when Yahweh returns to Zion, I did, went one time on Palm, a few times on Palm Sunday, probably. You know, I wrote about this and used this passage here, because when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, is he, he is Jesus, it's clearly a messianic moment, right? Jesus gathers around himself every symbol of being Messiah. But when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he is more than Messiah, is he not? He is Yahweh returning to Jerusalem. He is fulfilling this moment in a way that nobody could ever have imagined. And he ushers in the kingdom of God. He ushers in God's reign. Everybody doesn't see it. It's not fully manifest. But it is true. And how do we know it's true? <laughs> because Jesus was resurrected. Now, if you were in my class yesterday, that might have brought a chuckle. So, when Yahweh returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. People saw Jesus riding into Jerusalem saw it with their own eyes. Did they comprehend really what they were seeing? Of course not. How big a leap is it to get from a, a, a carpenter to, a, to the Messiah? But to, but to call Jesus God? Ah. You're asking, if you think that's something the Jews of Jesus' day would do um, uh, on Palm Sunday, you, you, you're, you're asking too much of them. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For Yahweh has comforted his people. He has redeemed Israel. Yahweh will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. That is the big overarching point to all of this. Always be looking for it. It's everywhere in the Old Testament that what is happening has a larger purpose. And that larger purpose is for the sake of the whole world, so that the whole world will see. Even way back when when God and Pharaoh were Locked into their struggle leading up to the Exodus. What was it really about? Letting the world see who God really was, and it wasn't Pharaoh. That the God of these dusty Hebrews was the most powerful God, and indeed, and indeed, the only God. So that Verses 7 to um, ten. Uh, 10, just, well, like I said, one of the most famous cherished sections of all. So if you, you, know, if you mark up your Bible or anything, that's a little place to, um, to mark up and to come back to. I'll tell you one funny story before we leave it. So I, you know me. Okay, so so I, when I preach or teach or something, I like working with images. I just do. I just started that when I started my classes. Oh, well, that's not quite right. I guess when I started my Sunday class, I and and maybe moved to what, we, what was then called something else, Wealthy Hall or whatever, what is now called Smith. Maybe that was the time I started using these images. But when I started preaching every Sunday in 2007, well, then I started using images as a way to build a sermon. They were like my notes. So they were what helped me know where I had been, where I was going. I learned all the images. I learned in my mind how to connect them. And, and for me, that was just a very satisfying and fulfilling way to preach, more so than writing out a manuscript and then trying to read it or deliver it or something like that. So (laughs) we had this passage. So I went into Google Images, which is where I often work, and I put in beautiful feet, trying to find something that I thought might work here in verse um, seven. There were a lot of very scary images that came back about beautiful feet. It was then I discovered that if I was going to use Google search, I had to start turning on some filters because it was freaky stuff. So, <laughs> how, <laughs> how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring us the gospel of peace? That that's how the the libretto, the words are in Mendelssohn's. Um, Chorus. How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring us the gospel of peace. What makes the feet beautiful? Not because they're beautiful feet physically. They're beautiful because they bring us the rescue, they bring us the cure, the the cure for cancer, they bring us salvation. Just yeah, so Okay. Verse 11 then. So now we have, we're going to switch, move to another little subunit here, which I think in your Bible there's a little enough of a division that the translators give us, because they're just helping us, right? There's no such division like this in the Hebrew. It's just, but to help us, the translators do this, and they do it right here, because now God says, okay, well, depart, depart, go out from there. Go out from where? Captivity in Babylon. Come on. Let's go. Touch no unclean thing. You're my people. You're still living under the law. Come out from it and be pure, you who carry the articles of Yahweh's house. You're going to grab all the temple stuff that you still have. Don't know how much of it you have. But you're going to grab it. You're going to carry it out. You're going to stay clean. You're going to stay pure. You're my people. It's a little bit like, I think, when God charged them with fleeing Egypt the night that the plague of the death of the firstborn came and said, Okay, you're going to eat as a family, and you're going to be ready to go. You're going to eat with your staff in your hand. You're going to have your sandals on. And you are going to be ready to go, 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 go. Same idea here. Because I think God knows how easy It is for us to shrink back in fear and emerge later and discover that the rescue ship left without us. God doesn't want that to happen. So he says to his people, go, leave Babylon, head back. Verse 12. But you're not going to leave in haste or go in flight. That makes it a little bit different than the Exodus, okay? For the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. You're going to go in safety. I'm with you all the way. I'm with you going. I'm at your front. I'm at your back. We're going to do this. You don't have to run out in panic or anything. Okay? We're going to do this. And that completes that subunit. And then, in chapter 52, verse 13, we come again to the servant. who We've been sort of in and out of focus, right, for the last few weeks. And now we're going to turn to the suffering of that servant and the glorification of that servant. And this is one of the most meaningful passages in the Old Testament for Christians. This passage that we are coming to it's like a it's like a resume for Jesus you know for the I don't I, I don't think any Christian could read go through what we're going to be in uh, for a while here today and surely next week and not see in it not hearing it jesus now the obvious question then is what did the people of jesus uh, jesus day think who was the suffering servant was the messiah supposed to be the suffering servant no the messiah for most jews was supposed to come in power and might and wonder and glory So who was a suffering servant? Well, Israel themselves. They had suffered a pagan oppression for 500 years since their return from Babylon. And now the latest ones are whom? The stinking Romans. Not hard for them to see themselves as the servant of God who suffers and will one day be glorified. So, um... I remember from a long time ago, reading some anti Wright on some of this, and he said, you know, he urges us to, to just, when we come to this passage, to let our imaginations expand. And, and, and imagine that a young Jesus, a young Jesus, sees his vocation in this. That he will be that suffering servant. He will, in essence, be Israel. He will do and be for Israel what Israel is unwilling to do and be for themselves. He will be a faithful Israel who will love God and love others. He will be a faithful Israel who will suffer and be glorified. And, you know, people talk to me, ask me some what did Jesus know and what did he think and how did he discover this and that? Was he born, you know, knowing all kinds of stuff? And I think you have to, my view of it is, you have to leave room in Jesus and his growth in his own life and his relationship with the Father to come to discover, to come to understand what God, what the Father has called him to. And I think that N.T. Wright offers us a good way to do that by suggesting that this passage in Isaiah is a place where Jesus could have come to understand what his vocation, his particular vocation, his unique vocation, would be, his unique calling. Because the word vocation comes from the word to call. So you know, the people have careers, but um, vocation is something different. So vocation is something you're called to. Um, i've I've I, God called me to what I do now I've never viewed it as a career I've never really viewed it as a job it it's it's my calling it's what God has done It's my vocation. I know that Lauren and Arthur and other pastors feel that way and some of you folks may feel that God has called you to a particular the particular sort of life okay so. You know, the the speaker in this will vary. It's going to begin with God being the speaker, then switch out to sort of a third party, sort of a... as a speaker talking about the servant. And then at the end, um, it's going to come back to to God speaking. But the focus is on this servant. Okay? So... I noticed Patty was getting up, looking for the sprinkler guy, who is not called and is now, indeed, to not my, to no one's surprise, late. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I got the phone. I got it all set up, honey. My phone even knows what Michael's name and number is. So, okay. we should be good. <laughs> so, verse thirteen. So this is this is God speaking now. See, my servant, God's servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Now, in a straightforward sense, those are all words of exaltation, words of honor. But we're not wrong if we see in them He will be raised is that a signpost to resurrection not for the writer of isaiah i don't think but here but for us maybe lift it up the cross that's that's a standard way to speak of jesus's crucifixion
1: lift up the cross
0: lift up the cross. lift high the cross if you look at your new testament lifting up jesus is a common way in the new testament to speak of jesus's crucifixion and highly exalted—that is the way. That I means that's what the ascension does. Okay. That when um, Jesus returns, the whole ascension part that we have in the uh, Apostles' Creed, for example, that's all about Jesus's exaltation. Oh, one moment, everybody. <laughs> it's the uh, it, it's the sprinkler sprinkler guy. Patty's going to take that call. <laughs> and she's going to help him get set up. So, we should be we should be good. Okay. Verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond any human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. Okay? Now, at each point you could come to some connection to Jesus. Okay? Um... I think this is a little bit more difficult one, but um, the disfigurement and so forth. What 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 could that be, if you were going to consider that? Well, it would be the disfigurement. I think in the course of his um, crucifixion and the beatings beforehand, and so forth. Um, also, you, you know we're. I know, at least the Jesus I grew up with. We had paintings at the church. You might have had the same painting in your church growing up. It was sort of the Norwegian Jesus. You know, he was very, very white, really, in appearance. And he had brown hair with, with golden highlights and an aura around his head. And he basically looked basically looked Norwegian. But, of course, that isn't what Jesus would have looked like. What would Jesus look like? Well, here, if you really want to know what Jesus would look like, you would go to um, Israel today. And not so much look at at Israelis, because the Israelis have a lot of European um, blood in them. You would go to the Palestinians, and you would find some average-looking Fairly dark skinned, shorter because people in the ancient world were sh- much shorter than we are today. Um, Palestinian, and yeah, that's probably pretty. You're probably getting closer to what Jesus looked like. Okay, um, no special appearance or anything. That's that's said again here in this passage, and and it wasn't Jesus's appearance that made him Jesus or made him Messiah. So, verse 15, um, So kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. It is one of the fascinating aspects of Jesus is how quickly, even in our world, Jesus makes people kind of shut up. (laughs) What I mean is, you can walk into places... And you can start talking about almost anybody. But if you walk into a place and you start talking about Jesus, so often the tone will just change. Things will change. And um, I personally think some of that is because people carrying their hearts in understanding of what God has done for them and their hearts respond um, even to what they will tell you they don't believe, okay? So, Patty, did you get them all set? Hopefully. Hopefully, showed him the spot.
1: <laughs> I did and I told him station five, but he's got the sprinklers going on out in the front. He said he was gonna check them all.
0: Okay, let him do his thing. Okay, yeah. Chapter 53. We who are
1: plowing through chapters here, aren't
0: we? Are we? Yeah. Are we really? What time is it?
1: It's almost 4 o'clock.
0: Well, okay, we're slowing down some now, but it's just so powerful, you know? I, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, know I, don't, I don't have to good. add much to this yes. right here. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Like who will see the truth? Who is willing to open their eyes? So many people in the world have their eyes closed. They're determined to close their eyes. They're determined to be oblivious. They don't want to know. They don't want to hear. They're just happy, I guess, or they're self satisfied in their ignorance. I talked about this for a while in my Sunday class. You know, when it comes to Jesus' resurrection, I personally think a lot of Christians are woefully not very knowledgeable about around it. But certainly for for people who reject Jesus, I don't think they know squat about any of it. I think they, they hear stories, they pick up this piece, that piece. I've told you I read Chris Hitchens books God Chris Hitchens book, God Is Not Great. He has now passed away and knows the truth. But He just didn't get it. I don't think he wanted to get it. He wanted to go through and construct an argument against God. Well, of course you could do that if you want. If that's your goal. If that's your goal is to construct an argument against God, well, of course you can. But that shouldn't be your goal. Your your goal should be to try to hear the truth. To try to hear the truth. Who, verse 50, chapter 53, verse 1, that's where we are. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? He, this is the servant, He grew up before Him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty, to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Okay? I I I am I'm sure that what we are that the person we're talking about here is Jesus. Even though this was written five hundred years before Jesus. So how well would Jesus do in our celebrity culture today? Well, nobody's gonna come run to him for his looks. Nobody's gonna put him on the cover of a magazine. Nobody's gonna ask him to be on the red carpet. He, he wasn't beautiful. He wasn't majestic. Patty, I hate to break it to you, he was no Thor. Wow. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. The old adage about you can't judge a book by its cover? It is true actually. <laughs> right? Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him because it's not what it was about. Um the gospels don't even tell us. They know it does. The gospel writers know it doesn't matter. We don't need to know what Jesus looked like. That doesn't matter. Then none of the gospels answer any a lot of the questions we would typically have about you know famous people. None of that about Jesus. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. He was despised, even worse, he was despised and rejected by his own people, his fellow Jews. He was despised and rejected by a Jew named Saul, A Pharisee who would meet Jesus a few years later on the road to Damascus. People didn't come, Jesus' fellow Jews didn't come running to his aid on that Friday. They rejected him on the Friday. They could have had him released on the Friday. They didn't do that. They released Barabbas. Why? Because in their minds, he was just a big failure. The Messiah, welcomed in on Palm Sunday, was supposed to arrive with power and might and clean out the temple and get rid of the Romans and the rest of it. <laughs> and lead them into God's, you know, glorious kingdom. But he didn't do any of that. He ended up beaten, spat upon by the temple guards and by the Romans and dies on this cross. It only meant one thing, that he was not who they wanted. He was not who they expected. He was not what they, who they wanted him to be. Even in the Roman Empire, You know, he was was crucified in maybe 30 AD. So there's 70 more years in the first century. By the end of the first century, how many believers are there in the entire Roman Empire of 60 million people or so? Maybe 7,000. Even by the time you get into the fourth century, how many Christians might there be? Maybe 5 or 6 million out of 60, it's grown to maybe a 10th. Most of the rest don't have...
1: 5 or 6 million.
0: Out of about 60 million in the Roman Empire, yeah. By, by let's say, by the time of Constantine, yes. 300 years after Jesus. Because mm-hmm. the movement does grow. I mean, the movement really does grow. Why does the movement grow? Well, it doesn't grow for the standard reads. It doesn't grow for life. Islam grows at the point of a sword. What makes Christianity grow? They offered a life that people wanted to participate in. And that life was the testimony to the truth of the good news. The Christians offered people a way out of the, this barbaric, brutal world um, of, those, of those centuries. The Roman world, the Greek world, the ancient world, really. Um, it was Christians who created the first hospitals. Before the Christians, nobody nobody sat down at the bedside of a sick person unless it was a family member. Nobody did that for strangers, because you could get sick and die pretty easily. But Christians did. You know, they, they showed the love of Christ and how they lived, and it grew. But sure, regardless, it didn't. It was not until Constantine became, the emperor became Christian, and all of a sudden everybody had to be that called themselves Christians, that you had the rise of what we now would call cultural Christianity or something like that. So verse 3, he was despised and rejected by humankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. And we held him in low esteem. That is what happened to Jesus. He died seemingly an inglorious death. There's no more humiliating death that the Romans could mete out to someone than crucifixion. If you needed to die because you had, I don't know what had you done, you had murdered somebody, or whatever it might be, they didn't take the trouble to crucify you. they just like cut off your head or something. But if you were perceived as a threat, or the people perceived you to be a threat against Caesar, that's how you ended up being crucified. And it was humiliating and shameful. A piece of it people don't talk about is the fact that almost always people were crucified naked. Why? Because it was more shameful, more humiliating, whatever they could do, to up the shame and humiliation was what they wanted to do. So, of course, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. And Connie's noting that the Holy Spirit also was on the move, helping spread the teachings of Jesus. Yes, it would absolutely never have happened without the Holy Spirit. The growth of Christianity was moved and spread um, because the people were empowered by the Holy Spirit, by, the, by God was empowering them in this way. But God didn't empower them to do it with a sword. That's my point. God empowered them, and they understood that it was to be done by the lives that they led and by the preaching of the gospel. And those two were, were, were linked together. You know, what you say and what you do, you can't really take them apart. You can't, everybody, we, I'm a parent, you can't really say to your kids, oh, well, you know, do what I say, not what I do. I mean, the kids know that's ridiculous. What you say and what you do need to be, need to be tied together. That's, you know, that's where the importance comes from. So, verse 4, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted." Okay. Took up our pain, took upon himself our suffering, and we, meaning humanity, meaning the Jews, whoever, saw it as being afflicted by God, so So he is, what what is that about? Well, Jesus took upon himself the sin of the world. Jesus, Jesus was the one Jew who was faithful, who loved God and loved others all the way to death, even to that horrible death on that humiliating cross. And thereby, took upon himself the consequences of sin that would otherwise fall on all the rest of us. And when we come to Jesus, a way to think of it is that Jesus is our representative Messiah. He represents us on that cross. He is us on that cross. And. That our sins become his sins and he takes he takes all of that okay um, that's the atonement and there are a lot of ways to talk about it and the New, the New Testament does not land on one way of talking about it but just states it as a fact that on that cross in Jesus' death in his sacrificial death in his in his sacrifice of himself because he was faithful to God. He made us right with God. Atonement at one. He made us at one with God. So surely he took up our pain and our suffering. That's what was happening. Yet, did we Did they see that? No. They just see a failed would-be Messiah. What do a lot of people see today? Just a poor teacher crucified by the Romans. What a sad thing. He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by God, afflicted by God. But he was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. Healed in what way? Healed in our relationship with God. As I said earlier, that's the point all along, is to bring humanity back into a right Relationship with God. Hang on. I don't know why I'm getting a call from the guy who's in my yard when Patty's out there with him, but okay. Okay, so, anyway, I'm so sorry. I I I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm really distracted, but I think maybe we'll... we'll what is it, 410? I think we'll probably wrap it up here. I'm sorry that he came right in the middle of all of this. But we're going to go back here um, probably to verse 4 next week and read, continue to read our way into it. It is, it is just so powerful. Pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So um, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That Iniquity is not a word we use very much anymore, is it? Iniquity is a word which talks about some, if you look it up, some gross, some really big sin, um, something that we have done that is not just, not equitable iniquity. And um, all of that in very standard orthodox Christian theology is laid on Jesus. He takes all of that upon himself. And hence, we are, our wounds are healed. We are made right with God. That's the kind of wounds we're talking about. So, it's just um, such a powerful section used throughout the New Testament, used across the Messiah that Handel wrote and elsewhere. Um, it's, I've, like I said, I've heard it described as, as, as a little mini resume for Jesus. So we will come back to this section next Monday. Um, but I think that's probably far enough today. And when Patty comes around, we will close in prayer. Unless anybody has anything? I don't see anything. So come on in, Patty.
1: Okay. Get my
0: arm out of the way here.
1: Well, of course, like we could expect, it's not just that one station that has problems. Really, we've got a broken pipe out there. So okay.
0: um, Well. Anyway, guys,
1: I was just outside, and you know what I found out? If you get wet on your jeans from your knees down. It doesn't feel that hot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good. Good.
1: Anyway, um, thank you all for joining us today. And um, if you would just close with us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, God, for this group. We pray, God, to just continue to feel your presence amongst us. We pray, God, that you would watch over us and our families, our friends, Lord. We pray for your safety. We pray, God to be healthy. We pray, God, for your wisdom and your discernment in our lives. Lord, we know that there are so many prayers on people's hearts right now that they can just lift those prayers up to you, God, or if they can't even find the words, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would lift those prayers to you now. We pray, God, that you would hold us close, and Lord, that we would feel your presence and that we would seek your presence every day. All this, Lord, we lift up to you. We're grateful, Lord, and we thank you. And we pray all of it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Amen. Okay, adios, everybody. Bye,
1: everybody. See you tomorrow, hopefully. Either... In person, the per
0: person, or in Farrell Hall. Hopefully, all the technology will work yeah. tomorrow. So, guys, <laughs> last week we are so sorry. Yeah. We were out
1: thirty minutes with nothing coming across, and it was... we were working it. They had three tech guys down there. It was not these two old no, people. No, no, they said it was it like. Out. A,
0: I asked what it was. Oh, it was probably a firmware update. Oh, Okay, yeah. well.
1: So anyway. <laughs> um, you know, we don't blame you if, you if you're trying someday and it doesn't quite connect, but you could always send Scott or I a message. And I, I really am looking at text messages too when I could kind of update you if, if nothing is coming
0: across. The surest thing is the podcast because that's recorded yes. separately. That's Absolutely. recorded separate from the technology down a parallel. So if Hall. you're
1: starting to get frustrated, just give it up and then you could go back and just listen to the podcast. That's right. Yes.
0: With a cool drink in your hand. That's true. Of some kind. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. everybody. Love you guys. Love you guys.
1: True. Bye.